Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 418. But there are certain things that you can't control, and I think two of those are is basically how diligent you are at practicing your craft, and the second is how persistent you are in the face of rejection. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost jump starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited and really revved up to introduce a very special guest, Preston Lerner. Preston, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am revved up and ready to go here. All right. Great to have you here. Preston Lerner is a published novelist and award-winning journalist based in suburban Los Angeles. His work has appeared in the New York Times Magazine, Sports Illustrated, Wired, Men's Journal, Smithsonian, Travel and Leisure, and numerous other national magazines. He's also a longtime contributor and writer for Automobile Magazine. His first nonfiction book, Scarab, was published by Motorbooks International in 1991, and his first novel, Fools on the Hill, was published by Pocket Books in 1995. More recently, he was co-author of Winning, The Racing Life of Paul Newman, published by Motorbooks, in 2009, automobile racing is Preston's passion, and he club races with the Sports Car Club of America and National Auto Sports Association. And today we're going to be talking about a new book, Ford GT, that just came hot off the press, and we've got a little surprise for you listeners at the end of the show, so keep listening. So Preston, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little bit more about your history, your career, and of course, your passion for automobiles? Thanks, Mark. I grew up in New York City, which is not really a hotbed of uh, automotive enthusiasm, but for <laughs> some reason, I was born with the, the car guy gene yep. and um, just devoured books and articles on, on especially racing, which was always my passion. But I didn't really pursue it much growing up because, frankly, I didn't know anybody who really cared much about cars. And again, in New York City, it's just not really a big deal. So I went on. I became a newspaper reporter in Texas and later a freelance writer um, out here in California, but I always sort of continued to follow racing. And it happened that while I was in Dallas in 1984, Formula One Circus came through, and I was working at the Forward Star-Telegram at the time, and the sports department was not interested really in covering Formula One. They didn't particularly care about automobile racing. Mm -hmm. So I volunteered to cover sort of all the advanced stuff for the race. 
and got to meet Carol Shelby there at the time. And Frank, those were the days you could sort of walk up to almost anybody yeah. in the Formula One paddock and talk to them. So, you know, talk to, to um, Nicky Lauda and Alain Prost and all the big heroes. And um, eventually I ended up moving out to California and um, hooked up with Automobile Magazine, which I still write for pretty regularly. Yep. And got to do a lot of racing stuff. Did a few racing books as well, uh, covered racing for the magazine, and started also racing on the amateur level myself. And uh, it's really been great. Uh, I, I wish I had started earlier. <laughs> it would have been good to grow up in Southern California rather than New York for that purpose. But um, but I'm glad I'm out here now. And I get to sort of, uh, doing the history books, I actually get to meet and talk to a lot of people who were my heroes growing up, which is sort of a fascinating experience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you dropped a nice little golden nugget for listeners out there. If you have a passion to do something, start now. Don't wait because time flies by and you'll miss out on a lot of opportunities. Well, as we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Preston, take the wheel. You know, it's funny. I, I'd never really thought about that seriously before until you asked me the question. And, and when I did, I realized I had a couple of, I don't know if these are very insightful or not, but you'll you'll tell me. Maybe some of your other guests have said exactly the same thing. But uh, I think success comes down to a lot of factors. But a lot of them we have no control over, you know, it's you're born with a certain amount of talent, you're born into a certain milieu, and you you know certain people, and and then luck plays a big role in it. I mean, where you are, if you're in the right place at the right time. But there are certain things that you can't control, and I think two of those are is basically how diligent you are at practicing your craft, and the second is how persistent you are in the face of rejection. Mm. So I've tried, I mean, I'm a freelance writer, uh, there's a lot of rejection involved with that, it just comes with the territory. Right. So I've tried to work through that, and... Uh, Again, I also work at home, working for myself, so you sort of have to put your head down. And, and uh, you know, there are days you don't want to do the work, and so I'm sure everyone feels that uh, you sort of have to put in the hours every day to sort of get to where you want to go. And that's basically uh, working hard is probably the, the most important thing to be successful at anything. Oh, sure, all the time. Well, you know, you touched on something that is uh, something I hear a lot from people, and that's the challenge with rejection. And uh, what are some of the the tips and tricks you might offer our listeners, those folks out there that are entrepreneurial, that are trying to pitch themselves and their talents, and they keep getting doors closed in their face, and it's easy to want to give up, but what are maybe just one or two tips that you use, things you use in your mind to help you get through those kinds of things? You know, it, it is hard. I mean, and there are times where you're convinced you've got, you know, a saleable project and you just can't find the right market for it or mm-hmm. the, right, the right person to to Biden, and um, I, I just, I don't know if I really have any tips besides just uh, beating your head against the wall. You know? <laughs> Maybe put uh, your head down and just that perseverance, that tenacity you talked about, just you just got to keep driving through. Yeah, I think it's just really important, to, and especially it's actually funny, when I started, it was back in the snail mail days, and you, know, you had to send out uh, queries to editors, and they would hopefully come back in the mail with a, re- you know, a reply of some sort, and a lot of them, you never hear anything back, but I mean... You know, every day I just got up and I said I was going to do another four of them or six of them or whatever it was. And right. when rejection came back, just don't don't harp on that. Just you know, keep looking forward and don't look sort of don't look in the rearview mirror. You know, it's right. It's whether you're racing, you know, you don't want to you want your your focus to be on what the road ahead. You don't want to be looking what's behind you. <laughs> Absolutely, great metaphor for for cars. And yeah, I had a friend tell me once that when somebody says no to you, it's not forever usually, and it's just because timing isn't right for them, and it has to be right for them and for you too to be the, for the project to be successful. So it's a nice way to, to look at it as well. 
Would you share something that instigated your goal to write this new book? This book is titled Ford GT, in the subtitle, How Ford Silenced the Critics, Humbled Ferrari, and Conquered Le Mans. And the photography is by Dave Friedman, who I'd love to get on this show as well. But can you tell us, uh, take us through the points of time of when you decided to write the book and uh, why you wanted to tell the story? Well, I have to confess, the idea for this book came from my editor-in-chief at Motorbooks, Zach Miller. And his idea was to uh, sort of tell this story to coincide with the upcoming 50th anniversary of the 1-2 finish at Le Mans in 1966. So that'll be the 50th anniversary. Perfect. Before I came on board, he actually contracted with Dave Friedman. And Dave, as you probably know, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners do, was the he was the staff photographer for Shelby American and then for Ford Motor Company during this era in the mid-60s. And he documented basically everything. I mean, he got access to his collection, plus because he sort of has most favored nation status with Ford, he has access to all the Ford archives. So he he went through and, you know, we knew he was he was going to do 300 plus photos and we knew he was going to do, get everything that we could possibly want. Mm-hmm. So when I came on board, uh, I've done a couple of books in the past and actually finding photography is, is really a pain yeah. and it's a lot of work and it's also expensive. <laughs> so, yeah. so it's something I didn't want to do. And uh, since Dave was already there, we already, so I already knew we already had the best photos. So that was not really an issue. The question for me was whether it was possible to tell this story in a fresh way. It's, you know, obviously this is history. It's, there have been a lot of books written on the subject and an awful lot of articles. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just wanted to make sure that I thought that I had something new to say on the subject. And uh, that, for me, was the, the the moment I had to get through before deciding to proceed with the project. But, you know, I sort of did my due diligence and, and sort of looked around, and um, I was convinced that, you know, this is a story that, that most people sort of knew the general contours of, but I don't think they knew the details. And it's a very it's a complex and very rich story. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I was actually really encouraged that I, that I would be able to do something that I think hadn't really done, been done before. And so I enthusiastically signed on, and about a year or so later, we were finished with the project. Well, it's wonderful. And, and I've read about this uh, this event, of course, and all of us have heard about it. But I like the way you approached it, the way you handled it. And, of course, all of Dave's photographs helped enhance the visual aspect as, you're, as I was reading your words. So I think you guys combined did a great job. And you know, both Zach Miller and Darwin Holmstrom from Motorbooks have both been guests here on my show, as is Matt Stone, a book that you co-wrote with, with him, winning Paul Newman's book, which was another great book that's on my library shelves. All right, Preston, what I'd love to do now is take a look at uh, some of the roads you've driven down while you were writing this book for GT. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about the challenge. You talked about the challenge of writing a book with photographs and things, but some of the challenges you faced while writing this book and how you overcame those things, and, and what did you learn from them? Well, the biggest challenge, I think, was uh, this is a subject, again, that has been covered covered pretty thoroughly. It was covered very thoroughly back in the day because it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in fact, there were three excellent books written almost immediately after the program ended in, in 1967. The books came out, I believe, in 68. And uh, several books have been written since then. And, and actually, there's A.J. Bame did a very fine book a couple of years ago called Go Like Hell. Oh, yeah. Um, so that, that was there. Um, so, again, for me, the first and the biggest hurdle was to make sure that I was going to be doing something that I didn't think anyone else had done before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I started by reading all the existing literature, except for I didn't want to go too too uh, too deeply into AJ's book because I didn't want to inadvertently plagiarize anything. So, sure, sure. So I wanted to sort of see where where it was that I could do things that were different, and then 
find out, you know, figure out how it was that I would be able to fill in those gaps. And uh, that was sort of placing things in perspective and talking to people who hadn't really been interviewed so thoroughly before mm-hmm. and then kind of synthesizing things in a way that hadn't been, been done before. So the biggest challenge, I mean, so, so, so there was that, that challenge just of just synthesizing things. And, and, of course, you know, in 50 years, a lot of the guys have died, which is unfortunate. So there's a lot of voices that have been lost. Yes. Fortunately, a lot of stuff has been written over the years, so, so some of their words have been preserved you know, in previous uh, publications or in magazine stories at the time. And Dave Friedman, actually, at Carol Shelby's behest, interviewed almost everybody involved at Shelby American mm-hmm. probably 25, 30 years ago. So he had transcripts of those interviews, which I was able to to, uh, to access. But, oh, um, nice. That was really nice. Um, but um, the, the other big challenge is, uh, you know, you'd think that it's so well covered, there'd be all sorts of information out there. But a lot of the stuff that's been written over the years is sort of the same material, just regurgitated or slightly reshaped. So finding new material was, was a bit of a challenge, and um, it took me a while to find. Uh, I ended up locating a, a fellow by the name of Mike Teske who has a lot of the Ford archives in his place in, in Knoxville, and I was able to sort of rummage through those and sort of find stuff I'd never seen before, and that was, that was to me, fascinating. And, and that was just a matter of putting it together in a compelling way, in a way that seemed fresh, again, for yeah. a story that people sort of generally knew. Yeah, well, it's such a love story, and I'll tell you, I asked all my guests that come here on Cars Yeah for a favorite book, and A.J. Bame's book by far has been the most recommended book of all the books now, which is pretty incredible considering how many books are out there, automotive books, business books, whatever. But um, it's interesting that you mentioned his book, but of course he did a great job covering it, and you did a great job as well. So let's make sure your book kind of uh, starts to become the new go-to, if you will, (laughs) for for that uh, epic, epic battle that happened at Le Mans. Would you share a story with us that you, when you had a kind of an aha moment with this project, I like to say it's when the, the headlights came on and illuminated your way for this new direction you had with this project of how to tackle something that had been tackled before. And how did your aha moment help make this book a reality? Uh, yes, I was thinking about that. I, I, I think there are two, if I can, I had two aha moments, so that's okay. And- yeah, absolutely. So when I started the project, I, I really, as I said, I did my due diligence by looking at the existing literature. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to the Collier Museum in in, uh, in Florida, which I believe is the finest has the finest automotive library in uh, automotive library in America. Mm. It's particularly strong on racing because that's that's what their passion is there. Yep. And so, uh, and there they had all the auto sports and motor sports and road and tracks and I mean all the magazines from back in the day and all the books on the subject. And I took a really thorough look at everything that was out there, and, and I had a pretty good sense of of the subject. And then I, during that trip, I was able to interview Roy Lund. And Roy, Roy was one of the Ford engineers who went to Ferrari to inspect the factory when they thought about, when Ford was thinking about buying Ferrari. Mm. And of course, that falling through was what sort of impelled the project in the first place. And Roy was the guy who put together the original proposal for the, for the, the Ford GT. And he was there through the entire project. And he had been difficult to get a hold of because he's a, He's about 90, and he doesn't use email. <laughs> so I ended up having to write him a letter, <laughs> which was you know, by postal mail. Back, you're like back to the old days when you were pitching people. <laughs> it was Yeah, it was, a, it was really old school. And then uh, we talked on the phone, and then uh, he was a little difficult on the phone, and I was, uh, and then I went to see him, and I was sort of didn't know if he was, if he was still going to be, how, how sharp his mind was going to be or his memory. And, and I sat down to talk with him, and I realized within about two minutes that he was perfectly lucid. He knew, he remembered everything crystal with crystal clear memory and i was like sitting in the room with the guy who was there at the very beginning of the program wow and that's 
And uh, it was great. I mean, it was, it was sort of like just being right back in 1963 and just starting from the start, uh, from the very, you know, inception of of the project. And so for me, that was just to, be, to sit there, and that's when I knew I had, even if even if some other interviews fell through, uh-huh. I had something here that uh, that was going to be really, really strong and powerful. So wow. for me, I was really thrilled about that. So that was really good. And then later in the project, uh, I'd been corresponding with a fellow named Mike Teske, who through various means, had inherited about, I don't know, 50 or 100 four-drawer files from Ford. And we weren't able to get together for a long time. And finally, at the last minute, I was able to fly out to to Knoxville on a red eye and see him. And I got to his place. And when I saw what he had there, and I opened the first file drawer, and I just saw there were just, there were memos, basically every memo from the era from the race teams and the Oh my goodness! R and D department. Uh, everything was sitting there, and and I was like a kid in a candy store. And I just realized uh, I was able to see again the original documents that that showed how it was it for, what Ford intended to do back in 1963, and all the way through to the budget figures for you know, the entire program. My and goodness! So that wow. to me was great. I was just so thrilled when I got to see that it was like gold. Oh <laughs> yeah, you you struck gold twice on this project, which was wonderful. What a fortuitous uh, experience and just to sit with people that had been there done that and look through the actual notes and files it must have been just uh, like finding a, a hidden treasure <laughs> for it was for, a spectacular yeah wonderful <laughs> what makes this book so special for you and why are you proud of the final publication well i i'm actually thrilled when i saw the book for the first time you know these days everything's done on you know you do it on your computer and so I'm just writing my text on a computer, and then I was getting back. Even when I saw the layouts with the photos in them, they were, you know, on my screen, which is a fairly big screen, but you know, it's still a computer screen. And, and when the book arrived, um, I was just thrilled when I saw, you know, it's an oversized sort of coffee table size. Oh book. yeah, it's a huge book. It's great. And with nice, uh, the paper's thick and nice production values. It just looked, it just looked really impressive. I was just actually thrilled. <laughs> I have to confess when I saw it. Sometimes it doesn't work out that way, but this one was. Uh, I was very proud to, to have my name on the cover. You know, it's twelve by ten size. It's you know, it's about an inch thick. It's beautifully bound, uh, wonderful paper quality. Motorbucks does such a great job with their books. So, uh, yeah, I can see why. Yeah, and, and, and Dave has a – the photos are, are uh, spectacular, plus there's a nice mix of black and white. And, and I mean, I love black and white period photos, and I've got my whole wall here. My my office is all filled with uh, black and white photos from <laughs> the 50s and 60s. <laughs> yeah. But the, the, the color really pops, though, and it looks just spectacular, and it reminds you that – you know, this isn't just ancient history. This is what the cars really looked like back in the day. So yeah, uh, I think Dave, the, the layout people did a great job. They really did. It's really wonderful. And uh, I share that. I have a lot of uh, old photographs in my home here. And some of them are Jesse Alexander, who's been a guest on the show. And But it's nice to mix the color in because when you see color, it's kind of like seeing old World War II photos. And when they've been colorized, it brings a, a certain life and reality to it that really makes it pop off the off the page. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And it's funny that you, sometimes you just think about, you know, history being in black and white, but of course, you know, it was in color, it right? It was I color, mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so it's very cool to see the, the, the how the cars look. And some of the, even, you know, you read the car's gold, you don't really know what it looks like. I mean, um, uh, it was just uh, just fascinating for me to, to see sort of even the day glow stuff in the, the mid-60s. And uh, the other, I mean, but I was also proud on a personal level, just uh, I felt like this was the Again, there were some excellent books written right right after the program ended, and they're they're excellent, and I, I recommend them, you know, without reservation. But they sort of lack a little bit of historical perspective because, of course, they were just one year out. Uh, so, 50 mm-hmm. years later, I think we're able to see kind of a larger picture. And one of the things that that really became clear to me in the 
as I was working on the book, was that Ford established the template for sort of the modern factory racing program, which is used today by Porsche or GM with the Corvettes or Audi, which is basically you do a lot of your heavy-duty uh, R&D in-house with your your staff engineers, but you farm out operational control of the program to mm-hmm. race teams that, you know, they're pros. They know what to do. Right. You know, Ford didn't have anybody on on staff who knew they'd ever been to Le Mans, or they had one guy who'd been to Le Mans, which is actually Roy Lund. So they hired people who, who knew what they were doing, like Shelby or John Wire. And, and uh, you know, that's now the way it's all it's it's done. Sure. Uh, everyone does it that way. I mean, it's just you can't really do a program like this in-house. No, the key to success. You know, when I introduced you, I talked about some of the other books you've written, uh, Scarab, Fools on the Hill, Winning the Racing Life of Paul Newman, just to, to name a few. Tell me about your some of your other books and how they relate to this book. Well, Fools on the Hill has no relation. It's a novel. It's a novel of suspense in case anybody wants, anybody is looking for sort of a, you know, a book like that. But um, Scarab was my first book, and that's the uh, Scarab is the story of the, uh, the All-American Special, which was put together by Lance Reventlow here in Southern California in the late 50s to beat Ferrari. And it brought together an incredible team of craftsmen that included Phil Remington, who would later join Shelby and be probably the most, single most important person involved in the 4GT program. Yeah. And uh, to me, that was one of the greatest experiences of my life. That was short, shortly after I started writing about racing you know, seriously, and I got to meet, in those days, which was 1990, almost everyone was still alive. I mean, all the guys who came back from World War II and, and sort of created the hot rod culture that we know today and take for granted in Southern California, they were all, they were all around, and I got to talk to all of them, and, and that sort of informed basically my understanding of racing ever since, and that sort of laid the groundwork for me professionally because it helped sort of establish you know, my brand, as you would say now, but um, right. but also it sort of, so I sort of saw, saw how things work, and I got to meet a whole slew of people, you know, from Shelby and Remington to Gurney, and who became great sources in the years going forward. The two, I actually did two books with Matt Stone, and the book on uh, Paul Newman was Matt's, and uh, he did a great job on that. I kind of helped out with the racing side, and mm-hmm. we also did another book called Automotive Mysteries, Myths, and Rumors Revealed, yep. which is a really <laughs> long title, Yeah, and uh, uh, that was a fun one, too. So we got to do a little bit of racing in that and sort of some general stuff. Yeah, all great books. Is there anything about this book for GT that you wish you'd done a little differently? Well, I'm, as I'm sure you know, Mark, uh, time always, uh, there's never <laughs> enough time to do everything you want to do. Of course. And we had a really tight deadlines on this one because it was imperative, we felt, to get the book out. Well, first of all, we wanted to get it out in time for the holiday season sure. uh, this year and uh, to get it out in time for uh, the 50th anniversary of the one two three finish next year. So uh, as deadline approached, certain interviews that I wanted to do, I didn't get done, there, especially... I got through kind of the, the sort of major figures. There were some of the, the team mechanics who I really would have liked to have talked to. Um, I didn't get around to interviewing, and I regret that. And I wish I had taken some more time and somehow yeah. figured out a way to make it happen. Dave Friedman had talked to all those guys, and he actually knew them quite well back in the day. So I did have access to some of their memories from you know decades ago. Mm-hmm. But uh, in, in retrospect, I, I wish I had, had somehow found the time and... and, uh, and you know, talk to them and heard, heard what they had to say firsthand. Sure, absolutely. Well, I want to remind our listeners, we're recording this show actually a month, about a month before it actually airs. So when we talk about this year, next year, Preston's talking about uh, 2016 as far as next year and not 2017, because that's the uh, history-wise, how that goes with the, the events that we're talking about. So I uh, want to make make sure you guys listening understand that. How about upcoming projects? Are you working on something new that's coming up you can share with us that really has you excited and fired up? Actually, 
This is embarrassing, Mark. You might want to edit this one out. I have, I have a project, but I, I don't, I'm hesitate to mention it because it's a little bit, uh, I don't want to give it away. It's a, it's a kind of a cool, I think a cool project, but it's something that somebody else might kind of jump on. So. Well, we will, uh, we'll just say you're working on something cool, something <laughs> fun, but, uh, right now it's got to be kept close to the breast and the cards can't be shown, but we'll look forward to it. Can you at least give us kind of a, a date and time when you think it might be out there for the listeners to enjoy? Well, this goes back to your early one about rejection. I have to find uh, I have to find a publisher for this one. Okay, so, okay, uh, very uh, cool. I'll keep you apprised. It's a work in progress, as they all are. <laughs> there you go. How about favorite authors? I would assume you, there's a lot of authors you enjoy, but there's one in particular that really inspires you. There were two, and, and for me, again, uh, sort of, I've been at this for so long that there there aren't. Um, I mean, there are a lot of writers who I really respect and admire and, and read regularly, mm-hmm. but kind of my my stuff's kind of. Uh, you know, I do what I do, and I've been doing it for long enough that, that whatever I am, you sort of see what you get. But uh, when I was starting out, there were two guys who, who really influenced me. One was on the fiction side was Ross Thomas, who was a, uh, who had actually been a former newspaper reporter himself who started doing novels of suspense that I loved. And I, he lived out here in Malibu, and I got to meet him, and that was a great thrill. Nice. Unfortunately, he died a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And also, just on a, more on the journalism side, David Halberstam, who you know wrote, the powers that be and breaks of the game and stuff like that uh, was a real inspiration to me because he showed how you could sort of use journalism techniques to write kind of modern history and tell a narrative story in a way that that wasn't just dry, didn't seem like an academic work, uh-huh. and really brought things to life. And, and I think I tried to take that to heart, and I've tried to do that kind of writing ever since. It's a, that's a pretty high standard to meet, but uh, I think, you know, I, I've aspired to that during my whole career great well awesome two great authors great to have mentors like that to aspire to so wonderful thanks for sharing so pressing up next is the last lap but before we put the pedal to the metal let's say thank you to today's cars yeah sponsor if you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over congratulations you're ahead of most people but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars talk to chris kimball certified financial planner practitioner For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Okay, Preston, we're back and we're entering the last lap. I know you love to race, so you know what this means. The white flag is out and time to put our foot into it. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Got it. What's the best book writing advice you've ever received? This is right. This is advice that applies to all writing, and that is to tell a story. Don't get bogged down in the idea that you need to impart all these facts or you have all these this information you need to pass along to your readers. You want to really, you want to write as if you're talking to a friend, mm-hmm. as we're doing right here. Uh, yeah. You don't want it to, otherwise it starts to seem stilted. You want to maintain your voice as much as you can. But basically just, just to think of it as uh, you're getting together with a friend and you're, you're telling them about something that you think is interesting. And that's how, that's how you should write. And if you can write that way, you'll, you'll be a success. Write a story. Great advice. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has helped contribute to your ability to, to complete this project and all the other projects that you work on? I think, yeah, the most important thing, especially for writing, because it's, you know, writing is something we all do, and we all think, not that we 
think we we all can do it. But especially when it comes to creative writing, uh, there's a the sense that you have to wait for inspiration to strike, and I don't. You really can't do that. You have to. Uh, I think you need to get every day. You need to sit there in front of the computer or in front of your notebook or whatever it is, and and you need to write. I mean, you need to you need to crank out words. Uh, sometimes yep. they'll be better. Sometimes they'll be worse. But uh, you have to do it on a daily basis, or at least a regular basis. And you sort of can't wait for the muse to uh, to strike. And, and <laughs> yes. Practice, 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 practice. That's so important. I hear that from a lot of my guests who are artists as well. Some days they just don't feel like painting or drawing or going out and taking pictures, uh, but you just have to get up and do it. You know, I was going to ask you this next question about what kind of resources did you access for writing for GT, but you shared two of those. So I'm going to throw in a little different twist question for you. We'll see how you do here. Okay. Uh, What was your first special vehicle? special vehicle you mean that i own myself yeah that you own that was really special to you something that you finally got or you just went wow this is really cool well i do remember first i had a bunch of really crappy <laughs> cars that were the towns or used that's, cars that's why you say first special we'll, <laughs> we'll ignore the the crappy one <laughs> well i got a the first brand new car i got was uh was a first gen uh um rx7 a Mazda rx7 uh 1984 ah. gsl um i remember going shopping and and the really weird thing um, is at the time I really it was I was working as a newspaper reporter um, I wasn't following cars that closely and at that point I wasn't even reading the buff books and so I really wasn't even sure what was out there and I kind of I saw a Fiero and I kind of thought oh well, that's kind of neat and I was thinking about a Fiero and then I was looking at a Golf and uh, I ended up buying this uh, RX-7 which is a two seat sports car mm-hmm. and uh, I loved it. I ended up loving the rotary motor that had the uh, the uh, 12B in there, and uh, yeah, uh, fun cars. My mom had one of those. It was, it was cool. I, the, the weird thing is, I actually, for a story not too long ago, I drove almost the exact car that I owned. So it was an '85, and it actually it was kind of a bit of a rust bucket, and uh-huh. uh, it showed how much cars have improved over the intervening. Uh, you know, I yeah, I've done the same thing. Go back and drive a car I had in my youth, and in my first re- it was a Carmagia, and I went, man, I didn't remember this car being so slow. <laughs> But yeah, time has changed, and cars these days are so so well built and so fast. So I understand that. Now your book is available now. Is that correct? It's correct. It's available on Amazon, and Barnes and Noble, and possibly through some uh, specialty bookstores. I don't know if it's widely available, like in most of the bricks and mortar places. But okay. it is available now. We'll yep. make sure there are links on your show notes page to how our listeners can get their hands on a book. And, uh, you know, this might be a, a good moment to step in here. Uh, Preston is going to do something special for one of our lucky listeners. What is that? I would love to donate a book to you, Mark, so you could pass it along to a listener who is hopefully uh, – Interested in racing and, and uh, particularly interested in the, the 4GT project. All right. Very cool. Well, I have got a copy right here. It's uh, wrapped in plastic. I haven't opened it, so it's brand new. And uh, we'll make sure that one of the subscribers on CarsYad.com uh, is a winner of this. And we'll uh, we'll do that the day after your show goes live, which will be in January on the 7th. So uh, one lucky listener out there is going to get a copy of this awesome new book. Thank you very much for doing that. That's great. Thank you so much for passing along. You're welcome. All right, we're up to the checkered flag, and this last question can sometimes be a real doozy. If there's one singular message you'd like our readers, your readers rather, to get from this new book, what would it be? To me, I I guess the message is that there was a time when automobile manufacturers, and especially American automobile manufacturers, saw racing as something more than a kind of merely a marketing tool. It was kind of a, a challenge, an engineering challenge, 
and it was a sporting challenge, and it was also a way to sell cars and, and sort of improve the, the burnished image of the brand. Mm-hmm. So I'd just like readers to, to recognize, you know, that what Ford in particular uh, undertook, you know, 50 years ago, and just the enormity of the project and uh, and their ambition, which is really inspirational. I mean, uh, it's hard to find companies willing to do that these days. They're so risk-averse and, and don't want to spend money. And right. Ford basically said, uh, we're going to go to Le Mans, we're going to win, and by God, that's exactly what they did. It took them, took them a lot of money, it took them a lot of time, but yep. they, they got it done, so more power to them. A lot of pride in that, too, I believe, uh, through Ford and America and American racing efforts abroad. So, yeah, it was a wonderful time. It was really great. Again, we're celebrating sort of the 50th win in 66 and 67. They went back with it was an all-American car that had been entirely developed, you know, there in Detroit or in Dearborn. It was entirely engineered there and built there, and was driven by American drivers. It was Dan Gurney and AJ Ford were probably the two best American, best known American drivers of the time. And they, they went there. They went to to Le Mans. And by God, I mean they they just crushed the opposition. It's, yeah, it's a pretty uh, pretty impressive performance. It's a very cool story for sure. Well, Preston, you've taken me on a great ride today. I've really enjoyed your stories, and I want to thank you for sharing your journey uh, writing this book for GT. It's a fabulous book. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in your Ford GT? <laughs> well, I wish I had a Ford GT, especially yeah. eager to see one of the new ones. Yep. I would just say uh, per- pursue your pursue your dreams. You know, go after them as, as uh, quickly and early as you can. I, as I say, I, I uh, wish that I had started racing my club racing career sooner um, because you, you don't get better as you get as you get older. Uh, so you know, just if there's something you want to do, go ahead and sort of grab the by the horns and, and do your best to, to accomplish that goal. Absolutely. And you talked about the best way for listeners to get a copy of your book. And of course, I'll be listing on your show notes page links to that. But uh, is there a way for listeners to learn more about you? You know, unfortunately, I'm a little bit old school. I do not have, uh, I do not have my own website, uh, nor do I have actually uh, Facebook or Twitter accounts. So unfortunately, the only way to learn I mean, I, I write regularly for Automobile Magazine, so my, okay, yeah. my work is featured there pretty regularly, and uh, yeah. that's pretty much it, unfortunately. You can well, come by Burbank and knock on my door. And, <laughs> and there you go. Well, I've been a subscriber to Automobile for years, so uh, I would encourage you to subscribe to that great magazine. You can read Preston's writings and, and check him out. You can go to his uh, author's page on Amazon. I believe you have one of those. Is that right? I do, actually. Yeah, you, true. you can go there and find all of the books that he's uh, written. Get your hands on them. Add them to your automotive library. I think you'll be very happy you did that. And again, you can find links to everything we've talked about today at carsyad.com. Just type Preston into the search bar in his show notes page. It'll pop right up. Preston, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with the listeners and with me. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Mark, I wanted to thank you for, first of all, having me on the show. You're welcome. And, uh, and the podcast, and second of all, for even having this podcast, which is a great resource and uh, is uh, something that I think I'll, I hope more listeners know about and will know about going forward. It's uh, really, really well done, and, and I'd like to congratulate you on all your fine work. Well, thank you so very much. I really appreciate that. It's been an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.